80 degrees with a slight chance of tornadoes. Today on the show, we discuss the weather report. Then Amber weighs in to share how FU money allowed her to make a better choice when it came to picking between Hurricane Florence and her job. Then finally, we're able to convince Joe to leave the basement and join us to tackle a listener case study. John is in the enviable position of being able to pick between immediate FI and pursuing a job that both lights him up and frustrates him at the same time. We try to help him tease it out. Welcome to the Ultimate Crowdsource Personal Finance Show. This is your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. excited to talk about this past week's episode on Monday. And I guess the uh, short and sweet spoiler is that we did survive Hurricane Florence. So uh, to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing quite well, Jonathan. Yeah, we obviously spent a lot of time last week talking about Hurricane Florence. And that's what's interesting about this show, right? It's like, this is really what we're talking about. These are our lives. And we're recording it on this podcast. So when we recorded last Tuesday, it seemed like the hurricane was going to come to us and drop 20 plus inches of rain. And we were legitimately worried. We were talking about going out and getting sandbags and water to sustain our family. And I mean, that was real. And fortunately for us, the hurricane did actually divert basically that night. So it didn't come within a couple hundred miles of us. Of course, there was major devastation in North Carolina, and we certainly don't mean to make light of that at all, but it did skirt around us. But yeah, Jonathan, we got hit with tornadoes in Richmond last night. I know by you, there were roofs sheared off major buildings. I actually saw a twister from, I could look outside my window. It was like a Hollywood movie, Brad. It was probably the single most terrifying act of nature that I have ever seen. And I felt like it was about to touch down near my house. There's a video that someone just captured. Amazing. These little phones that people carry around with them. Apparently they can capture videos of everything that's happening, right? (laughs) Welcome to 2018. But like you said, it was the roof of a building that was totally sheared off Within five miles of my house, I've never seen anything like it. And videos like this were spawning up all around the area. Apparently, NBC 12, our local news station, friends of the Fi community, right? They actually were showing all of these tornadoes popping up all over the place. Apparently, we had eight tornadoes in the Chesterfield area that were just going around in one giant circle. It was like they were trying to pin down my exact location, but we narrowly avoided them. Yeah, undisclosed location in Chesterfield. Yes. But yeah, it was it was pretty scary, but this is all behind us now and it's been a pretty wild week here. I thought I had dodged the hurricane altogether. And so when it was all done on Sunday, I was like, okay, well, we'll go ahead and put out the grass seed. And then I checked the weather report and oh, by the way, it's going to be 70 to 80 degrees with a uh, more than slight chance of tornadoes everywhere circling around you. And uh, (laughs) pretty sure that undid everything that I had laid out. So uh, yeah, like you said, glad that it has passed us. And, you know, as crazy as the tornadoes were here, Brad, I mean, this devastated different parts of the country. And, you know, I wanted to highlight this post that we actually got in the Facebook group from Amber. And she says, reason 875 to choose FI, actual conversation with my boss about being in the hurricane's path. 
I say, or she says, I'll be working from home Thursday and Friday until I lose power. The boss says, I expect my team here on those days. You and I might have a problem if you're not here. To which Amber says, that's a shame, but I don't feel comfortable being out in those conditions, so I'll work at home. He didn't make a fuss after that. We're not fine yet, but definitely have FU money. I am so glad I don't have to put myself in harm's way for a paycheck. I mean, this is seriously non-trivial stuff. Just the fact that she didn't feel comfortable. She didn't feel safe. You know, when it comes to your job, for 99.9% of people, it is not worth it, especially if the other end of that is just keeping your job or bringing a paycheck home. The potential for harm or loss of life is simply not worth that. And I love that in her case, she was able to stand up to a boss that sounds like, in this case, he was making a very, very inappropriate ultimatum. It was this FU money. It was this financial ground game that allowed her to have perspective and say, you know what? It's not in my best interest. It's not in my family's best interest. You know where to find me. I'm going to be at home. Yeah. And you got to love the power dynamic. That's the beauty of FU money. It's not to be a jerk. Amber wasn't trying to sit there and lounge in the sun and drink pina coladas. She was legitimately worried about driving in a very unsafe situation. She stood her ground. And this guy sounded to my ears like a bully. And he didn't make a fuss after that, right? When you actually stand up to the bully, they usually sit down pretty quickly. Most people don't have that power to actually stand up for themselves. Amber sure as heck did. And like she said, reason 875 to choose. I think we've covered the first 874 in all the episodes up to this point. We've been averaging three <laughs> reasons a day to choose Phi. Uh, she just covered 875. We were getting there, Amber. We were going to make it. We, we just decided to cover it today. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. And yeah, Sean chimed in in the comments. I think FU money is better than FI money. And he's right to a degree. This is about accruing power across this spectrum and across months and years. It's not your... FI or not. It's not a binary zero or one. It's every day that you're saving money and getting closer to FI, you have more power to stand up for what's right for you and your family. And that's a really marvelous thing. And you know, this isn't so much a blanket statement. I think you, with everything, you have to put it in context. I, I'm assuming that she is not a first responder or in healthcare or something where somebody's life is online. 99.9% of jobs do not justify being there when literally apocalypse is happening in your local region. That just the best possible case scenario is for you to be not at work. That truly is it. And with your loved ones, there are people that are putting their lives on the line that are going and being in these positions. And that's incredible. And that's a different conversation altogether. But to go in there so that you can simply file the TPS reports is absurd. Yeah. And Jonathan, since you mentioned first responders and other people who are putting their lives in the line. Like, I just wanted to give a big public thank you to all the women and men who are out there day by day doing this. And certainly in, in times of crisis, it's remarkable. Obviously we're fortunate that, you know, I'm watching this from my couch, right. And, and just looking at this heroism and it's, it is amazing. So yeah, a huge, huge thank you from choose to all the first responders out there. And you know, all of this has convinced me, Brad, that it is time to leave Virginia and go to Florida for a couple of days. And fortunately, there is the perfect excuse. FinCon 2018 is here. It comes up each year. And I'm excited about it for multiple reasons. One, because we're actually going to be giving a talk, kind of rolling out some of the strategies we use as we've built this podcast over the last year. But two, we were able to coordinate with the uh, local admins of the Orlando, Jacksonville, and Tampa groups to set up a meetup for that same week. It looks like we're going to have probably right around 100 attendees, and I'm really, really excited about that. 
yeah, we had the good fortune of of attending a local meetup similarly at our podcast conference a couple of months ago in Philly. 150 plus people showed up. It's just kind of a natural now. When we go to a new location, let's meet up with our local group. How perfect and cool is that? So 4 p.m. is the rough start time on Friday the 28th, and it's at the Half Barrel Brewery. So if you live in Florida and you want to come down, come on down. We will be there probably from four to seven, I would say. And who knows, some people might be there after that. So Half Barrel Brewery on Friday the 28th at about 4 p.m. And Brad, I was thinking we have these 25 to 30 t-shirts that we had gotten developed for an event that we had earlier in the year. I was thinking, why don't we just go ahead and bring them with us? And if you come to the meetup, you get a t-shirt for free. Well, that sounds good. Or at least the first 25 people will. Yeah, the first, so, yeah. Well, the, for the valuest in every single one of you, right? That, uh, that. <laughs> There's going to be a line at 345 to see who gets the t-shirts now, right? Free t-shirt. Uh, Are you serious? Yes, I'll make the two-hour drive to be there. I've got to knock that down. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is going to be open to the entire five community. So if you're a blogger who's attending FinCon, We'd love for you to show up. Please don't think this is like, you have to be a member of the Jacksonville Choose a Five local group. We hope there are hundreds and hundreds of people at this event. So if you are hearing this and you want to come down, please do. All right, Brad. Well, let's go ahead and take a few minutes and talk about this past week's episode with Harry, the rideshare guy. And the place I really wanted to start was talking about something that you highlighted. You said, Harry, your mantle, the name that you grabbed was the rideshare guy. And was that just straight ripping off the points guy <laughs> to which Harry confessed busted? But I wanted to slow down on that because I thought he brought up such a fantastic point. He truly has become the center of his niche. And for the drivers of Uber and Lyft, for anybody that's in this kind of sharing economy, he's increasingly become a resource. And I thought, this is something that so many of the people in our community are wondering, how do I replicate that for my specific situation? So I thought that maybe this would be a topic worth exploring today, and maybe we can distance ourselves a little bit from Choose FI. I actually do it both ways. Think about a little bit of what we've done here at Choose FI, but also kind of paint a scenario. If you were doing something completely different with all the stuff that we've learned over the last year, how would you start? How would you kind of emulate some of the tactics that Harry used to build up a kind of designer laptop lifestyle. Does that sound like a conversation you'd be interested in having with me today? <laughs> that is very formal, but yes, I I, <laughs> I accept formal. That's why I wake up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And yeah, it's interesting with the rideshare guy because yeah, he clearly took the mantle as the person and there's certainly value there. And I think a lot of people can do that in many of these different niches. That's a perfectly plausible thing. Like as he's talking about, reporters want and need quotes and sources. Who better than the rideshare guy or the rideshare gal or the points guy in the miles and points world? It just, it has that cachet, right? It's, this is the person. This is the person you want to be speaking with. It's interesting that we've seen that work so well just in these two, I would say, minor instances, but they're not so minor, right? Both the points guy and the rideshare guy get millions of visitors a month. So well, and, that's, and the uh, college investor, we've interviewed him as well. Another website that has, I think over 2 million page views a month. I think he's like the same size as Mr. Money Mustache, or maybe even a little bit bigger that, right. and he's kind of locked down that, that niche in terms of who, who is going to go check out the college investor. Well, it's probably going to be a college age student that's interested in investing. He's the guy. Right. I mean, there's something worth talking about here. I don't know if everyone needs to change their brand name to put the in front of it. In fact, Facebook went the other way. Right. They dropped the uh, 
the book of faces. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a strategy that's worth highlighting here. And it's how do you become the center of a community? That's, I think, the conversation. Yeah. And I think I, since you asked before about to maybe compare and contrast with what we've done with Choose a Five, you and I have clearly not said that we're the guys at all. I mean, I think we're your, I don't know, friends maybe? Like we're your buddies who are just sitting around and talking about this stuff and trying to work through it. As we've from the very beginning said, experiments in financial independence. And we don't use that phrase all that often anymore, but that's what this is. This is two families living their lives and we're trying to do it in a way that adds value to the audience and adds value to this community. And I think that's where we started. I think we also very intentionally tried to make it this community gathering place. That's what the Friday Roundup is. That's why we have in-house experts who can come and leave voicemails or write articles that we can read on the podcast. And we can use that information from these women and men who are just doing remarkable, remarkable things that Jonathan, you and I are not subject matter experts on safe withdrawal rates or any of the numerous topics, you know, in-depth tax hacking. That's not our thing. No, we're increasingly professional question askers. That's the, right, uh, <laughs> but there's value there, right? Asking good questions. There's huge value. Curating is important. Curating good information is really important. And like you said, and I didn't mean to talk over you there, but we can curate that by asking questions that if we were in the audience, we would want to ask those, right? And we can get the people on who are those subject matter experts. But I think the difference is between the two, the FI community was an incredibly well-established community long before there was even a thought of what Choose FI was. So clearly there's a difference from us trying to grab said mantle as opposed to the rideshare guy. There is nobody talking about rideshares at a high level. It was up for grabs. And so that's kind of like where I was going with this. Both of those are winning strategies. If you think about the community that you're positioning yourself to be connecting, you can go either of those directions. If it's a very well-established community like the personal finance or the FI community in this particular case, friends of the community, choose a FI, friends of the FI community, that is clearly a good place to go. And for them, it was more, let's grab this mantle and be the source to connect the mainstream to the niche. I think that if we were to go and go outside of either of these and come up with some different niches, like if choose if I were gone tomorrow and I were starting from scratch and I were picking a different niche altogether, or maybe even smaller niche, instead of just talking about FI, maybe I'm talking about simple living. Maybe I'm talking about frugality. Maybe I'm talking about homesteading. Maybe I'm talking about gardening. Maybe I'm talking about kitchen appliances or cameras or podcasting or whatever it may be. I think there's some strategies that we have covered up to this point that we could then pin down and kind of apply to some of these other ideas. That to me is really, really interesting. So put yourself in the situation, Brad, that nobody knows who Brad Barrett is. And Brad Barrett has never had a successful website up to this point, but he knows everything that you know right now. You have access to all of the information and you're going to start in a completely different niche. It's not going to be travel rewards. It's not going to be personal finance. It's going to be one of these other subtopics. Have you thought or considered how you would break out of the crowd and create for yourself some sort of brand identity, what that process would look like? I think what I would do, I would look for a problem in my life. Like this is kind of how I approach like, where can I add value? So maybe it would be either finding some issue that I wanted to overcome. I think people are looking for personal stories. So do I have some type of issue that 
I can learn about and solve, and then presumably many other thousands or hundreds of thousands, hopefully, of people have that same issue. Hopefully, this niche would be bigger and broader than just this one tiny little thing. So some type, you know, maybe if we're talking, I guess I'm skewed because Phi, we look at as this life optimization. So I'm thinking as in terms of how could I broaden something? Like I wouldn't want just how to change a doorknob.com. I'm sure that exists, A, but B, like there's only so much you can do with that. Whereas can you find some type of issue that either I have or maybe I've already overcome it or find something in my life that I am especially good at where I think I could add value to the world? I think that's always my bias is how can I help people solve some problem or use something that I might be particularly good at that other people maybe could get some value from. That's what I would start with. But establishing that you are a real person and that people can trust you and maybe even grow to like you, hopefully in a perfect world. I think there's a lot of value there. I think as we talk about, even in this online world, right? Like, and we talk about connections and friends and all this stuff, but connection is really missing from most people's lives. So people want to hear about your story and your life and what that pain point was and how you overcame it. So I think that's how I would initially search. And then just like we've talked about, and a lot of bloggers and even Harry talked about, like he used a lot of the relationships that he had built through the personal finance blogosphere to help him grow the rideshare guy. He went to his network. He went to people that like and trust him. I think it, it really comes right back to that is finding those people that want to go to bat for you and also having something of value. And in Harry's case, he had an article or information on ride sharing, which is somewhat pertinent to personal finance, right? Obviously we're having him on, on the choose a five podcast. So I think it's establishing and developing relationships and seeing how you can help people maybe some way down the road, they can help you, but you don't do it in that contrived manner, just like Harry is doing with his Twitter strategy, which I thought was brilliant. He knows that reporters need these quotes and he's the person who goes out and is helpful and also understands the game, understands that they have two email addresses and one of them they never check because it's 10,000 cold pitches and the other one is one that, that they actually do check and they give out and maybe he gets that email address because he tweeted to someone or sent them a LinkedIn message or just showed that he was legitimate. So I think there's a lot of value just in Harry's story as pertains to your question, Jonathan. So anyway, I've gone on for long enough. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think it depends on what your objective is. This is kind of interesting because we've been talking about it in the context of blogs, but not every website is a blog. So if your goal or objective is to foster a conversation around, you know, financial independence or personal finance, or, you know, maybe ride share or something along these lines around a very specific topic. There's definitely one strategy there. Another option that kind of runs a parallel path would be just to create a website. Are, are you trying to create a side hustle or are you trying to create a blog that you can monetize? But you're not going to have success overnight with these things. It's going to take a lot of work. And so I think the side hustle is the perfect way to look at building a website. And so for me, I'm not going to look at something that I'm not interested in. Fortunately, as you know, I'm interested in a ton of different things and I have a lot of hobbies that I would like to pursue. And so 
I'm kind of vaguely interested in learning piano. I took three years when I was a kid and then just kind of was bored with it and gave it up. I would kind of like to pick that up. What would it mean to pursue that? I'm interested in gardening. I'm interested in woodworking. I'm interested in cooking. I'm interested in podcasting and videography. Like I have a lot of different types of things that I'm interested in. And so it seems to me that if I'm going to be taking all of the time to learn one of these skills, I might as well document that and then potentially find a way to monetize that journey along the way. You know, going back to our hobby checkbox, if you're going to have a hobby, it doesn't seem to me like there's any downside to kind of laying the foundation, laying the groundwork to figure out if there's a way to monetize that down the road. It's almost like you're getting a two for one. The world is changing so rapidly. I was at, uh, there's a mall in our area at Stony Point Mall. It's a, it's a beautiful upscale mall, but the retail stores, they are closing. It's not viable to be a retail location. So in 2018, right now, we're undergoing this massive transformation in the way that people purchase products and goods. They just simply do not go into a retail location anymore. It's probably a 30% drop. And by the time this next generation kind of slips off and then and the millennial generation is the primary purchaser, which is probably already the case, but it will only become more amplified with, what is it, Generation Z that comes after that. You're going to see malls continue to shrink, retail locations continue to shrink, but purchasing will not continue to shrink. Purchasing will probably continue to grow and grow. The way that people will purchase will move more and more to online. And with any sort of generational upheaval like we're experiencing right now, there is an opportunity for someone that is documenting their journey to get better at this, what goods and products and services made that process easier. And for the individual that's willing to document that process, even if for the first year or two, they never make a penny, just the fact that they have something that's been around for a year or two gives it more weight. So by the time they actually figure out what the heck they're doing and they get better and better at the whole marketing end of this website, Google is already bestowing upon said individual more love and their content ranks higher and higher, giving them more opportunities. So if Choose If I were going to disappear tomorrow, I would go to my list of kind of hobbies that I want to pursue. And the best way to learn something yourself is to teach it. We know this. It's a tried and true method. And so not only would I be learning it in a more comprehensive way because I'm being forced to teach it or replicate it, I'll probably find a community of people that are interested in this as well. And if I make $5 a month, $10 a month, as soon as I make that first dollar from you know pursuing this, it's like, okay, that worked. What can I do a little bit better? And you just get better over, over time. It, it seems to me that pursuing something like this as a side hustle, it's a very low risk proposition. I'm not saying it's a low time proposition. What you'll find, the better you get at, the longer you go down this path, the more and more time you'll be putting in. But it seems to me that for an individual that has clawed back a significant percentage of their time, has found some bandwidth, maybe is on the path to financial independence, they're going to be able to do what we saw the rideshare guy do and just slowly get better at this, kind of put some training wheels on. He practiced with this garbage website that he didn't want us to share, but we forced out of him. <laughs> and then when he's ready to go prime time with his next project, he's going to be ready. Yeah. And Jonathan, it's interesting that you bring up like his next project. Imagine Harry a handful of years ago as an aerospace engineer. And his next project is driving for Uber and Lyft. I just think that is incredible. So many people are held back by what other people think. What kind of aerospace engineer is driving for Uber on Friday night? Who's doing that? Well, Harry's doing that because as he said, quote, I've always liked making money, but I've always sort of gravitated to what I call high ROI hustles or investments. I thought that was cool how he just was speaking, I think, with a Lyft driver one one time that he was taking a ride and they were telling him how they got paid like $24 an hour 
to sit around and do nothing. It was during this promotion. And now granted the promotion ran out before Harry could get involved, but like those are the kind of things that he's looking for. He talked about being the laundry boy for his volleyball team in college where he got paid two hours every day for essentially five minutes of work because you're not sitting there scrubbing laundry, right? Like you're putting it in the washer and dryer. It's interesting how Harry's mind thinks. I think that is essential for the audience taking something away. Like just look at how he approaches life. He's looking for these outliers. He's looking for that chat room monitor that he was where he just sat there and did nothing because the site had no traffic. How funny is that? And he's looking for these things over and over again. And now one instance that jumped out to me was that destination filter. And we're talking about maybe everybody who's listening to this isn't necessarily going to go out and drive for Uber and Lyft. Certainly if you're making a net of $12 an hour, it's not going to be perfect for everybody. But that said, you look for the places where you can win. That destination filter was an instance where, hey, if you're driving to work already, you have a commute, why not set it up so that, hey, I'm going from point A to point B, and if I can pick somebody up within a, a mile or two of either of those points, why wouldn't I do that? That's almost like free money, and you're getting to chat with someone, maybe make a new friend, who knows, and I thought that was a cool rethink, and again, I'm always looking for the mentality. I think I'm trying to paint a picture here of how Harry approaches life. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the destination filter. I think there's probably something here. I was actually looking at some of Harry's articles that he mentioned, and it seemed like the destination filter was something that you could just have on constantly at one point. It's actually been scaled back to where I think you can do two destination filters a day. I'm sure that Uber and Lyft will probably continue to change those as their algorithms change. So depending on when you're listening to this, you know, it's always worth updating and checking. But Currently, for the, someone in the FI community that's not going to be a full-time Uber driver potentially, but is looking for a way to potentially optimize, it's worth highlighting how powerful this strategy was. Again, let's say you're this high-income professional or frankly, just even around the median income professional. You have a daily commute and you feel like it's time that you're not optimizing to the full extent. What he is suggesting basically is that while you're not typically able to deduct that commute to work. I think with most individuals that commute, that initial commute to work is not deductible. After that, if you have to drive on behalf of work, then there's room in there to deduct that going forward. If you're an Uber or a Lyft driver, that changes altogether. So you're able to deduct your mileage, right, Brad, that you would take from your home to your destination. If you can consistently pull this off, the benefits are going to be whatever marginal tax bracket that you find yourself in. Yeah, that was interesting how Harry pointed that out. And that's just an additional benefit. And I know, Jonathan, you're always looking for interesting little tax hacks. So that's that's a cool one. Why not be able to deduct your miles, maybe make a couple bucks, and you're just going on the same route, essentially, that you were otherwise. So it's pretty cool. Well, and think about it. You know, if you're going to the same destination every day at the same time every day, you might end up in a situation where you're picking up the same individual every day. So basically what you've done is you found yourself, instead of joining a car share program where you kind of guys kind of split up the priorities, you found a way to turn that into its own gig. There's probably someone in this audience, I and mean, I'm not saying it's going to apply to everybody, but somebody in this audience is going to look this up and say, holy crap, that's incredible. And I'm going to start doing that tomorrow. If you are that individual, call us and leave us a voicemail. I'd love to hear about it. All right, guys, we have a very special guest for you today. We have conjoled and contrived to convince Joe Saul Cihai to leave the basement for a long-awaited visit on the Choose of I podcast. He's joining us today, and we are going to tackle some listener questions. Joe, welcome to the show, buddy. 
Dude, the sunlight is unbearable. You're so pasty. <laughs> Got the sunscreen out. What, what do you do up? How do you live this way? I, I mean, no shag carpeting on the wall, no Bon Jovi posters. I'm not sure how you guys do it. That's why I love watching your Facebook lives, Joe, just so I can experience the mausoleum that is your basement. I have actually never met anyone who has so much Sonny and Cher memorabilia as yourself. It's truly remarkable. But we don't want to date me too much, man. I'm young and hip. You're hip to the Generation Z. You got their back. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Joe, welcome to the Chooseify podcast for the first time. This is going to be a blast to get to kind of actually talk through some of these questions that we have teed up for you. But I thought before we could do that, I mean, you're obviously most well known for the amazing work that you've done on the Stacking Benjamins podcast over the last several years. I know even last year you were voted the best personal finance podcast of 2017 by Kiplinger. And I mean, you've pretty much gotten every single award that a finance podcast can get in this space. What was your background before you started podcasting? I was a financial planner for 16 years, and I was also a spokesperson for American Express, which is funny because I'm a guy that's a lot more like uh, the average dude than people know. I didn't have a money background. I have an English degree with an emphasis in creative writing. When I first started off as a financial advisor, I didn't know a lot about money, which by the way, there's a lot of people in this audience who know. There's a lot of financial advisors out there who don't know a lot about money. <laughs> And I grew up in farm country and I never had any idea what an engineer was until it was too late. I just thought an engineer was a person that drove a train. But what I've learned since then is I very much have an engineer personality. And as I met with clients early in my career and I saw them doing strategies that I hadn't really heard of or I knew tangentially, I went in and researched those and researched those. And, you know, over the course of meeting with 10 to 15 families a week for 16 years, you get to the point where you've seen just about everything, you know, helped a couple hundred families retire, help lots of people put kids through college, help people buy new houses, help people retire aggressively, help people pull the rabbit out of the hat and retire it all when they didn't think that they could. We call that, um, we call that Hail Mary Fi. I'm just going to get one <laughs> last pass. <and> then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a whole different movement. We got to start that one. I know. I want to be a part of it desperately. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Figure out how to get the right numbers in the lottery or something. But anyway, I did all that. And because of the fact that I spoke like the guy next door, the firm that I was with, American Express at the time, it was American Express Financial Advisors and then became Ameriprise. I became a spokesman for them, not because of my incredible knowledge, but because being a guy who started off knowing nothing about money my, I guess if I have any unique talent, it's the, it's the fact that I can talk about money from a standpoint of a guy that started off knowing nothing about it too. Yeah. I think that beginner's mindset is so crucial in life. I mean, nobody wants to hear someone call down from on high, like almost like the old Alan Greenspan, he would show up in front of Congress and literally nobody understand a word, <laughs> right? Not one word he said, it was astounding. Whereas like People want to listen to you. And I think maybe that's why people like the Choose a Five podcast. Like we're just normal guys and we're trying yeah. to figure it out along the way. And we're not holding ourselves up as experts, but obviously we know our stuff, right? So I think there's value in that connection. There really is. Well, and if you don't know it, you look it up. I mean, in defense of you guys too, which is fantastic. I mean, you're incredibly responsible as a podcast. The thing that totally frustrates me is when you sit down with some people that are have finance degrees and maybe an MBA in finance, a lot of the time they just talk over your head. 
And they're talking about these concepts and these ideas as if, well, duh, if we use the rule of 72T, we can take that money out of your defined contribution plan. And I'm like, 72T, defined contribution, what the hell are we talking about? Even 401k, like how come we didn't do this the Canadian way? Canadians call it an RRSP, right? Which is a registered retirement savings plan. Like it says everything, everything about what it is. We instead call it a 401k. What the, what, what the heck? I love that movie that was out recently with Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler, where they had a 401k. So they thought they had $401,000. It turns out that that wasn't quite right. Hey, Joe, how did you get from creative writing to financial planning? That's not a direct line for most people. I loved watching these people on TV. Like in the morning, you'd see the people on the Today Show that would come on television and they had all these secrets. Like if you clip a coupon and you go on double coupon day to the store, you're going to, which we know now is not the thing you should be worrying about. But at the time, you'd see these people that almost like magicians, they had these little hacks. And I thought, man, if I could be that person, that would be fantastic. And then, and this will date me, I saw the movie Wall Street. I didn't want to be Gordon Gecko. I love the character Bud Fox for people that, that saw that, Charlie Sheen's character. But I thought this idea of, of hustling and learning about companies didn't so much resonate with the part about cheating and lying. That, that part didn't get me as much. But just the excitement of that, I thought, wow, this is a whole new world to explore. And I had a friend that had a more traditional background and worked for the company uh, at the time that I was moving into. But it, he called me and recruited me. And the quote, Brad, that he said was, and this is awesome. He said, quote, we don't usually hire people like you, but I think you'd be really good at this. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a pretty, we, uh, is he saying pretty thanks, I think, right? Like, I know, right. We don't normally hire people that would be good at this. That that's our guiding light. Ta-da. Ta-da. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm this funny all the time. It's what keeps people coming back. <laughs> You're on fire today. <laughs> You know, I kind of see the threads to where you get this current position, but how, how do you end up podcasting? I mean, just tell me a little bit more about that because it, it seems like a little bit of a departure from maybe where you started. Yeah, I was a financial planner until 40 and, you know, I'm getting ready to have this milestone birthday. And at the same time, a mentor I had wrote a letter at the firm that I was with telling everybody that he was leaving. And he was a guy that I respected a ton. And he said, listen, financial planning is close to what I want to do with my life. And I think this resonates, by the way, a lot with our fire movement, this introspection about what your life is about. And this wasn't the type of usual letter you get in a financial planning company. And he, he wrote this very introspective thing that said, you know, I like this. I don't love it. I do know this isn't what I want to do with the rest of my life, but I don't have enough time to figure out what I do want to do because I'm working here so many hours and I need to, to find that time. I've, I've saved up enough money that I can take some time off and I can figure out what I really want to do. He said, but I know that I have other mountains I want to climb. And that phrase, other mountains I want to climb didn't just resonate with me, by the way, it resonated with several of my friends. And we're all now doing different mountains, different things that we want to do. And it made me look at my life. And by the way, it's funny when Chris, this mentor of mine, when he said that, I didn't realize he was being literal and he's climbed most of the high peaks around the world. And he climbed Mount Everest twice. 
this, this guy seriously wanted to go climb mountains. Now he runs an adventure travel company and absolutely loves what he does. You know, I don't even think he considers it work. He absolutely does exactly what, what, what he likes to do for me. I thought, man, I've got other mountains. I want to climb too. So I decided at 40 to sell my business. It was a franchise and I sold it for a mid to high six figure number. I then took that money and decided that I would go into teaching. Teaching didn't pay very well, but I had enough money that I didn't have to worry about how much money I made. I had been a track coach. I met my wife, Cheryl, as a middle school track coach way, way, you know, long before. And I absolutely loved that. And I wanted to get back to it. So I went to school, got all my licenses for teaching. By the way, I sat in these classes and here I, I am, a guy 40 years old, sitting with people who are 19 18 and 19 taking, taking these tests. And it was very, very strange, very cool, but very strange. And the first thing I learned teaching and God bless teachers listening to this, I learned I was going to fight administration all the time. It was going to be hard to teach what I wanted to teach. I remember one of my great professors telling me, Hey, make sure you take care of disciplinary problems in your classroom, because if you send kids to administration, it's never going to be handled the way that you want it handled. And by the way, every teacher who's a friend of mine nodded their head aggressively when I said that. I don't know the truth, but it seems colloquially from my friends and relatives that are in teaching that that seems to be the case now. And so at the same time, because I'd done all this public relations stuff for Amex, on the side in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, I was writing press releases. I was writing financial advisors, letters to their clients. I was writing scripts because I'd done television in Detroit for nine years. So I was just writing and I'm having a blast teaching people. And I thought, man, maybe I should do this. So I started a blog and it was okay. It was decent. But during that time, people kept telling me, you know, Joe, you've done some radio, you did TV. There's this newer thing, podcasting. You should start a podcast. And I kept saying, I've got nothing to say. I love podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts since nearly the beginning. My phone is always full of tons of podcasts, but I don't want to just be a me too show. And then one day I was listening to car talk while I was mowing my lawn and here's these two guys. And for people that don't know car talk, these two guys click and clack. And one of the guys died a couple of years ago, but they still play it on NPR because the shows are so fun. And it's just this car culture. And they're more interested in developing people in car culture than they are. You really learning anything. And all of a sudden I went, man, we have a lot of people out there that want to be the last word in finance, like Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, some of the big time gurus. And then we don't really have at that time, we didn't have anybody that was really just playing about the culture, like really trying to create this community where we're just enveloping you in the culture, not trying to be hardcore, just trying to maybe bring on a lot of different guests. And if you like what they talk about, then go follow them and they can have the last word. They can have maybe a community that you like or an idea that you like, but we just wanted to be the introducer. And that was when Stacking Benjamins was born. Well, we're obviously huge fans of your show, but I wanted to stop you like six times in the middle of that <laughs> monologue from the guy that said he didn't have anything to say because that epiphany that I have more mountains to climb is probably one of the more profound things I've heard said in all of 2018. I mean, Brad, are you on the same page? Yeah. When I heard that other mountains I want to climb, Joey, there's a serious level of introspection that was required on the part of your mentor. And, and then on your part, you internalize that. Like a lot of people would have heard that and maybe just gone back to being a financial advisor. You said a couple of you guys did go out and climb your other metaphorical mountains, but the vast majority of people stayed there clearly. But I'm curious about your journey. Talk me through after you heard that, how did you hit on 
becoming a track coach and a teacher, like talk me through the actual process of what was going through your mind at that point? Well, the first thing going through my mind was how much that resonated with me and how much I liked it, but I didn't love it. And it wasn't until later that I actually came back to money and realized that I love the teaching plus money piece, even though that statement alone might ruin my reputation for not teaching anything. But I really like this idea of the science of play. But to get back to your question, Brad, what I was thinking at the time was, this isn't my mountain either. I need to figure out what the hell it was. And I realized very quickly that I didn't know. And just this feeling that I didn't know scared the hell out of me. And it took me a good couple months to realize that some of the most fun I'd had in my life was when I had been a track coach. And I thought, well, being a track coach and teaching young kids how to be better track athletes. I was a track athlete and cross country runner myself in college. And my wife was as well. It it was so rewarding for my soul. Just so much fun when you'd see these kids get something, get a technique that they didn't get before. And I said, okay, now that I'm not really worried about cash, what feeds me And I thought that that would really be the thing that fed me. And it was only through going down that rabbit hole. And by the way, I don't, I don't regret going down that rabbit hole, going to all these courses and then not becoming a teacher because it still taught me a lot. I learned a lot about human development. I learned a lot about how people form opinions. You know that most of the opinions that we form are ingrained in us by the time we're 12 years old. 12 years old, we've already kind of hardwired what our opinions are, which is, by the way, why we all fight so much on Facebook about idiotic stuff, right? (laughs) Because we're all 12-year-olds asserting ourselves. That was interesting. And just how people learn. And and I realized then, too, which I think, you know, became a little bit of, uh, of what's ingrained in the fabric of our show, that you can't shove stuff down people's throat. There's this whole science behind play. And I love board games. And, um, when I play a board game, I don't really learn anything about the topic. You know, I have this Western theme game right now. I'm learning the rules too, called Western legends. But just as I see doc holiday, Wyatt Earp, all these real people in the West, it makes me want to go explore who they are more. And all of a sudden I'm not learning because it's being shoved on me. I'm learning because I'm naturally curious and I've had this subject put in front of me that I'm fascinated by. So I don't know if that answers your question. But. Yeah, no, it does. It really does. And and yeah, rewarding for my soul. I jotted that down instantly. That I think is what people should be looking for is where do they get value from life? And that means at any point in their life, like so many people, unfortunately, as you certainly know, are in jobs that they don't love. Maybe they hear this podcast, maybe they hear your podcast and they would love to make a change, but it's hard, right? Like, as you said, I didn't know what to do, but Maybe you went through this months long period of introspection where you looked for things that were rewarding for my soul, or even, even if you didn't do it as overtly as that you realized, Hey, one of the best times of my life was when I was a track coach. And I think there's real power in that type of introspection. I totally agree with that, Brad. I'll tell you what, though, I have met people when I was a financial planner that would stop there and they would just then jump off the cliff. They go, you know what? I love being a track coach. So I'm going to go do that now. Uh, that's a mistake. Cause the next thing I had to do, and this is where the money nerds in our audience will start listening is then I had to start applying some math and I realized some things very quickly. I realized number one, that although my net worth was decent, was, was fairly high. uh, There was a big part of that that was wrapped up in my company and my company was not built to sell. My company was built 
around lifestyle entrepreneurship. So I needed to readjust my company and build systems and processes that somebody else would buy so that I could get the number higher and make people really want to buy it. And by the way, my business would have run better had I done that from the beginning. So anybody who owns a business that's listening to this or think about going into business, totally, you know, listen to people like uh, John Warillo and his uh, Built to Sell podcast and his book, his fantastic book, read The E-Myth I think the E-Myth, even if you work for the man, if you work for somebody else, I think the E-Myth is a fantastic book to read about what's really important in a business. So I had to clean that up. I had to run, of course, some spreadsheets about making sure my money would be ready for me in the short term, my other assets that I had accumulated, because I had to go from thinking long-term to all of a sudden building an engine that would support me during this time that I'm not making money. And so at the time that I decided to feed my soul, that was actually the beginning of then a process that probably took another six months. So Joe, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on something. I, as, as you were telling your story, this popped to mind is you were a financial advisor for a significant portion of time for most of your career. And then you went into teaching, you went into teaching personal finance, right? And you had a website and obviously a very popular podcast on personal finance, but not five per se. But now you're seeing really this five movement kind of, if not take over, then certainly come to a point where it's so much larger than it was even a handful of years ago. And I'd love to get your thoughts on the arc of the five movement and where it stands in the personal finance world. The arc is is huge. And I, I love this question because it's the most exciting thing going on in personal finance. They say, you know, there's only six or seven different questions that you can ask around money. And we take everything and we turn it on our, on its head and all of a sudden talk about how do I get more aggressive instead of how do I just make sure I do things right? Like the conversation before this, Brad, went like this. I'm behind on all my goals or I've got tons of debt or companies have dictated how I spend money. So how do I actually just fight so that they're not killing me, right? So it's a very defensive conversations we've been having about money. And instead of playing defense, the whole five movement is about playing offense, about me dictating the terms about how I live my life and then where I plug consumerism in. And I absolutely flip and love that. The problem is this, as large as we think it is because we live it, we drink it, we've got the whole Kool-Aid hooked up to to an IV and we've got it in our system, all of us, it's still tiny. Like it's still super duper tiny. There are still so many people out there that don't know what the heck we're talking about. So I get so excited about seeing new podcasts come out about seeing, I was talking to a new podcaster just the other day and he's like, ah, oh, I saw like three new personal finance podcasts last week. And I said to him, that's great. That's fantastic because there is plenty of room for more people preaching that. And people are going to find ultimately the voice that resonates with them. I had a mentor when I was a financial advisor, uh, her name was Katana. Katana said, some people are going to find you just because you're so like them and other people are just going to naturally repel. And over time, your client base is going to become much like you. And it's the same thing, I think, for your podcast. You've got people that you resonate with. And so they find you, they share your weird sense of humor, whatever it might be, your viewpoint. And then other people go, no, thanks. And I'm okay if people say no, thanks to me, 
but I think that this idea of getting more aggressive and being on the attack with your money and being in the driver's seat versus just playing defense is so powerful that, man, let's get more people talking about it. Let's get more podcasts. Let's get more blogs out there. I worry that it's not big enough yet. How about that, Brad? <laughs> no, I love that. And and yeah, I have that same abundance mentality of this is like a rising tide lifts all boats scenario where the more the merrier. Like I'm not worried, certainly, that this would never cross my mind of, oh, there's 12 different five podcasts. What is that going to mean for Choose FI? No, I mean, I look at it as this is marvelous. There are people are learning about this. Like you said, you want to be a teacher. That's how I would love to be seen. I don't know if I am seen that way, but I would love to be seen as someone who can help people get on what I believe is this wonderful path to happiness. So yeah, I, I would never look at it as a competitive landscape. It's just, wow, there are so many people that are getting introduced to this and hopefully downstream introducing thousands, if not millions of people more. So yeah, I totally hear you there. And another point, like you said, playing defense. It's interesting how personal finance was that, whereas this is, again, it's abundance, not to overuse that, but you also see that in health. So much of healthcare is treating illnesses, whereas now there's functional medicine. There are people who are looking at holistic ways to stay healthy and to get even healthier. You also see it in psychology. Instead of dealing with acute issues, there's an entire science and psychology of happiness. I'm seeing those exact parallels there. And it's, it's really interesting to tie those threads. It's super interesting. And to your point, to tie it to health and healthcare, I remember when it's going to date me again, but I remember when HMOs were first coming out on the scene back in the day, they had, uh, we take our horse and buggy to the doctor. No, uh, <laughs> but, but when HMOs were first coming out, I remember asking my mom, Hey, what's this thing, this new HMO. I remember my mom telling us that we were going to sign up for it as a family. And she said, well, it's really cool. It's called a health maintenance organization. And it's more focused on teaching you great habits around your health. And then you stay healthy and then you don't need to, you don't, you don't need to go see the doctor as much and look at what HMOs have become. I rarely, and people that work for HMOs are probably going to kill me, right? Right. Hate mail to me, <laughs> not to Brad and John. Joe at stacking Benjamins. That's right. I just don't see it. If it's out there, I don't see it. All I see is low cost provider. I got to stay in network. I'm, I'm told that I got to go see my main physician first and then get a referral to see other people. And I got to jump through all these hoops to use a doctor and in exchange for that, I pay a lower premium, but we got rid of what the original thing was. And I hope that this doesn't change cycling that back to money. I hope that this stays the same way. L let's work on being super healthy with our money so that we keep all of our costs down. I mean, we can live a fulfilling life and have things that feed our soul that we don't have to, um, you know, just go spend money and everything. I have, I have these people in my family, by the way, that always have to go to the most expensive restaurant. When we see them, they, they say, Hey, let's go hang out at the bar at this super high end place. I'm like, why, why wouldn't we just sit around with like trivial pursuit at your table? Cause we always have as much fun doing that as we do at this high end bar. And it just, it kills me. They're in big financial trouble now. And I keep dropping hints at them like, oh, you know, this Dave Ramsey guy, a lot of people like him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, you, you know, these Choose FI guys, they built this great community. And uh, these members of my family, oh, huh? Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Like, I, I, ugh, it's so frustrating <laughs> when you see people go in the exact opposite way. 
yeah, five seconds later, they couldn't tell you if you said Dave Ramsey, choose if I or anything else. Yeah, you just the, <laughs> the smile and nod, right? Right. And I heard yesterday, by the way, that they're going to buy a boat. Oh, Ooh, nice. nice. Yes. And nice. nothing wrong with buying a boat. But when um, you can't afford basic stuff in your life and you're going to take a boat that you're probably going to buy on payments, you're you're already one foot in the grave and you're digging it faster. Well, I kid you not, Joe, your story and particularly what we've kind of rolled out for us right now in this last segment, I have a voicemail from a listener that is so perfectly tied to this. I mean, you haven't heard this voicemail ahead of time. You're not ready for this, but I'd love to kind of riff off of this with you and kind of explore this individual situation. Are you ready for this? No, of course not, but let's do it. <laughs> Jonathan sandbags someone else on the Choose the Five podcast. I am in a perpetual state of unreadiness. It's fantastic. Throw Joe under the bus. <laughs> hey, Brad and Jonathan. I love you guys' show. I've been listening since the beginning. I'm calling with a dilemma that I have about my life, and it has to do a lot with FI, with fire. So I bought a business a few years ago, maybe eight years ago, it's grown quite a bit and I could now sell it. I have a couple buyers that are interested in buying it for around a million dollars. I've started a couple side hustles recently and my wife is still working. So with the sale of the company and there are, is some real estate that's with the company that I would separate and keep the real estate. So there'd be some rental income and that real estate's completely paid off. So we would be, if we sold the company, we would be FI. But over the last year or year and a half of listening to your show, I've kind of realized that having my own business and it kicking off enough profit to support my family, that kind of is FI on its own. Although this type of business is more than, it's not something that feels FI. It feels more like a job. So I am stressed out about it frequently. And there are things about it that I don't like, but there are things about it that are great. And it certainly gives me a lot of purpose and sense of, just, you know, getting up every day and working on the business and that sort of thing. So I'm kind of in this dilemma of do I sell it? And then I'm completely FI, both my wife and I are 30. So it would be fairly early. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in the situation that I am. But I just thought it'd be interesting to start the conversation of like, if I'm kind of FI now, but it still feels like a job, but I could sell the business and then be completely FI. And I still have a couple side hustles that I could focus on. And make some money, not near as much money as this business that I would be selling, but certainly enough to kind of cover some of the costs of our li life. And so anyway, I don't know if you guys want to feature this voicemail and get any feedback from other people, but it's just a dilemma that I've probably been thinking about for about a year. And the other thing about it is that I have two potential buyers that are interested at that price tag. So, you know, that's not always a guarantee either that you would always be able to find a buyer. I mean, I know a profitable business will always find a buyer, but for this particular business, I know many other business owners that want to sell that have a difficult time. So anyway, it's just something I've been thinking about. And I thought, hey, it might be an interesting topic for the show. I really appreciate you guys and all the work you do. Fire is spreading. Boom. He gave us a boom. Awesome. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff to cover here. And Joe, I was really struck just when you were sharing your story with us by the parallels. Yeah, we can't tell him I mean, obviously what to do has to be in his heart when it comes to sell the business or don't sell the business. He also knows when he says that other people struggle to sell their business and he doesn't want to uh, miss out on an opportunity. I think taking that into account is smart. But here's, here's the thing. If he really likes the business, 
and it feeds him waking up in the morning. And he said, there's things that frustrate him about the business. I get this sense guys that he might just need to reconfigure how the business works. And there's a great book called profit first that has come out fairly recently, just a few years ago, that is a great primer on instead of growing a business to be bigger, to grow a business to be more profitable so that it spins off more money. And so what I might do, I talked earlier about reading the E-Myth. I might first look at the E-Myth about making sure that you've got systems and responsibilities, but then second, set up your cash flow so that you take the profit out first and worry less about growing the business for no reason. There's a lot of businesses that are growing and growing and growing, and someday that's going to make them more money. But without a mechanism to actually profit from that business, a lot of businesses just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then they topple over, never having really made anybody anything. The other thing that that does, setting up the systems, the process, and profiting first, the side note of that, it also makes the business more profitable, which means higher sale price if he decides to sell it down the road. So I think maybe setting up the systems through the E-Myth might help him deal with some of the frustrations better. And then the second piece, pulling profit out might help him with him continue working and have his FI that he wants and still keep working because it's part of who he is. I love this thing, by the way, we had somebody, a certified financial planner on our show recently, Dana Ansbach. And she was talking about what's wrong with a life well-worked. I don't think there's anything wrong with a life well-worked. So if he loves the business and he decides that he wants to keep it and he's able to get rid of some of those frustrations by redeveloping his systems and making the business focus more on profit to him, I think that might be a great place to be. Yeah, and Brad, it did remind me of something that I've definitely heard you say several times talking about, and this is actually as a W-2 employee, you know, is there a way that you can restructure it so you're able to spend more times on the things that light you up? It strikes me that if you are the business owner, you frankly have more control over that. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go with this. And, and I think there's a double benefit of it. Like Joe's saying, he can set up systems, but really the logical implication of that is you have to find someone else to do those other items. He's not going to be doing mundane things or even high value things that he just doesn't like. The double benefit of that is not having it so that this business is perfectly tied to this one individual. That's not a business. That's a cult of personality, right? And, and I'm not arguing necessarily that that's the case here. But if one person is absolutely fundamentally needed to run the business, then how could you ever sell that business? and have it run without yeah. said person, right? So I really do think it's a double benefit for A, raising the sale price potentially, because also somebody who's coming in doesn't want to buy a business that is inextricably linked to this one individual, right? Absolutely. No, I want nothing to do with that business because the second that you leave, then I have to, uh, I have to figure out how to do it again. I mean, you look at as an example that most of us know, you can see and I haven't been in on their strategy meetings, but you can really see Dave Ramsey trying to move into retirement by, you know, giving his daughter, Rachel Cruz, more time and getting her out in the spotlight more. He's getting Chris Hogan out there. He has all these different personalities and he's trying to build this machine and look at even with his systems and processes, because it was all built around Dave, how difficult that is and how Rachel has a fantastic voice, but her voice ain't Dave Ramsey. It's a 
whole different type of voice. And I've talked to many people that, that it doesn't resonate with them because they expect Dave and Rachel's bringing something a little bit different to the table. So you want to focus on the machine, not on uh, how great your individual skill is. So for this individual, he's, he's in a very unique position because the choice that he's laying out, it's even in a stronger position than you are, Joe. I mean, he's basically saying, if I walk away from this, I am at phi, but the work brings to to some varying degree. And I think he's still trying to tease this out to himself. The work brings a level of purpose to my life. It brings some frustration, but it also, I do find a bit of my identity in it as well. And so I think we've kind of seen these threads where an individual, so all right, I'm going to try and paint this picture where if you have all of these things, it's likely that you will never retire. If you have autonomy, if you have mastery, if you have purpose, if you have identity, if you have connection, if all of those are lined up, there's virtually zero chance that you want to walk away. I mean, it's just something I'm going to do this forever. And that's kind of the the, the situation to some degree that I, that I feel like I found myself in. For this individual, it seems like there's a possibility that if he were able to clean up some of these frustrating aspects that that might apply to him as well, in which case it would be very obvious. Well, just fix this and then roll with it. And you're in great shape. If, if you were to look at those, those same characteristics and say, well, no, it doesn't really do that. No, it doesn't really do that. No, uh, there's a million other things I'd rather be spending my time on. It seems to me like you could very easily make a compelling case. Hey, you beat the game. Now focus on the, the next mountain. The piece of this that we can't answer is the critical piece, Jonathan, which is what do you really want to do? That's the piece that we have no idea what he really wants to do. And that's the struggle of figuring out what do you want? That was a struggle that I had. That was a lot of struggle. A lot of my clients had back in the day, getting people to what you want to do. And you know, what's funny is that a lot of times people had such a hard time coming up with it that I used a trick where I take a coin out of my pocket and let's say that this is Brad and Brad's deciding whether he retires now or he doesn't. And he's on the fence. He has enough money, but he loves what he does, but he doesn't want to miss out an opportunity. This same thing. And I say, Brad, okay, here's what we're going to do. Heads, you go ahead and sell the business and retire. Tails, you keep working. Deal? And in a lot of cases, people go, deal. Yeah, let's make it a coin flip. And I would flip the coin and then I put my hand over it and I'd look at my client and I'd say, which one do you want it to be? And you know what's funny? While the coins in the air, the level of clarity that 99.9% of people got was amazing. They go, man, I hope it's that I, that I'm retiring now. (laughs) There it is. And you know what I do? I take the coin. We'd never look at it. I put it back in my pocket and that's what we did. That's brilliant. There's that gut feeling. And even if you can't logically explain it, which is why it eventually got to the coin flip in the first place, right, Joe? <laughs> you know in your heart of hearts what the answer is. And and yeah, you're exactly right. Like we cannot possibly know what he truly wants. And I think he needs to do that introspection and figure out where does he want his life to go? And I think just just one kind of counterpoint to the the potentially holding on to the business. And he kind of alluded to this in that other businesses of this type are difficult to sell. I don't know precisely what that means, but there is a level of certainty, obviously, in selling this and cashing out, right? He's talking about having other side hustles, having other passions. If there is this level of uncertainty that who knows, maybe this business goes down to zero or you can't sell it, which is essentially the same thing. You have a million dollar asset here that can get you to FI. And if this doesn't light you up, which again goes back to figuring out what he wants to do in life. But if this does not light you up, there is a lot of security in that certainty of selling it, cashing out, 
and moving on with your life and finding what is rewarding for my soul, Joe, like you said. Yeah, that was kind of the third point that he didn't present that I love you bringing this up because there is this other idea. What if he sold this business because it has some flaws? He either didn't set it up the way that he wanted or there's some frustration that come with it that comes with it that he doesn't like. What if he was able to sell it and just get rid of the bad pieces and create a new business or one of those side hustles that he has, invest it in a side hustle that kind of is more configured to the lifestyle he's looking for, peel off the rest of it and diversify it, invest a piece of it in this new business to get it up and running the way that he wants it to go. He could eliminate the negatives in his situation that way as well. Yes, because clearly it's not this binary choice where it is do the business or do nothing. I mean, right. there, there's plenty of room in between the two to explore one of these side hustles and do it from a f- incredibly strong financial position. To me, that just seems really appealing. And I would likely pursue that, assuming that, you know, all of the criteria that we talked about earlier uh, has been met. Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the show today for this first, but hopefully not last Friday roundup. Man, we would love to have you back at some point in the future if you want to tackle some more listener case studies. Well, if we can do it with these blinds closed. So it feels more like a basement. You got to break out the SPF, brother. (laughs) It's a deal. A lot better off. My pale skin. It's horrible. No, this has been great. Thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Hey, I was uh, trying to get a ticket for your nearly sold out event in Florida next week. Tell us a little bit more about that. Dude, we are. Can you believe that we're playing comedy clubs? Like we get so many people saying your jokes aren't funny. And yet the improv in Orlando said, yeah, why don't you come play here? That was amazing to us. So we're doing a live show in Orlando the day before this conference that we'll all be at called FinCon Starts. It's on Tuesday, uh, next Tuesday, the 25th. Tickets are only 10 bucks. It's actually two podcasts in one. Our, our mutual fan, Chris Browning, and his awesome popcorn finance show, he's going to be our opening act in Orlando. Uh, you'll have him at 7.30, and then uh, uh, we'll start at 8 with a special version of the Stacking Benjamin show live, and that's going to be a ton of fun. Then two weeks later, we're taking the show to the Improv in Kansas City on October 9th. There's a fintech conference going on at the same time, so we'll be talking to a lot of these new fintech companies that are around Kansas City that's awesome. We also are going to have Joel Goldberg, who is the guy that does the opening and uh, closing parts of the Kansas City Royals games. People in Kansas City know Joel Goldberg. He's going to be one of our special guests there. And then two weeks and one day later, we'll be at the Go Comedy Improv Theater in uh, fabulous Ferndale, Michigan, just north of Detroit, where Shannon Kaysan, one of the best storytellers I've ever heard, is going to join us. And again, our mutual friend Andy Hill will be there. In both of those cities, we'll have opening acts. We'll also have Chris Costello from Bloom as our special guest host uh, with us in all cities. And uh, TIAA is coming with us. They're doing this cool thing. They're an awesome nonprofit and they're going to shine the, they're celebrating a hundred years and they're going to use us to shine a light on somebody who's making a difference in each of these communities. Cool thing is they're coming with us and they don't want to talk about them. They want to talk about these difference makers that are really making these communities better. And that'll be a special part of the show, but 10 bucks, Tickets are at stackybedjamins.com forward slash tour. And I hope you can join us because we're going to have some fun. And I just wanted to highlight that is uh, in your Detroit, that is Andy Hill for Marriage, Kids and Money, right? Yes. Andy Hill for Marriage, Kids and Money. Kat Alford's going to be there. 
and uh, some other surprises. All right, just to our audience, if you have not listened to Stacking Benjamins, it's a fantastic podcast. It's incredibly entertaining. You will forget that you're listening to a personal finance show and truly enjoy the experience. And I can say, having watched Joe MC at FinCon, he just runs an incredible event and you will have a fantastic time. So highly recommended. And uh, Joe, thank you for coming on the show today. Well, thanks a lot for that. And thanks to you too, Brad. Uh, guys, I love the show. Love taking you on my runs with me. By the way, Jillian, when she was on recently, how awesome was she? Oh, she's incredible. What an incredible story she has and just the impact she's having on her community. It's astounding. Holy cow. Anyway, thanks a ton for having me. Now, unfortunately, that is going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. And there's three books that we offer. The first book is J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path, The Well. The second book is Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future. And the third book is Vincent Polisi's book, Freelance to Freedom. You know, Brad, whenever we have a guest that has a book that they're featuring, I used to, I like to throw it in as the fourth option. So this week, why don't we offer Harry's new book, The Rideshare Guide, as a fourth alternative for someone that leaves us a written review. If you want to enter the drawing, all you need to do, just go to choosefi.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and then send us an email to feedback at choosefi.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get, and we announce the winner on the Friday Roundup. Brad, how many winners do we have today? All right, Jonathan, we have one winner today, and the winner is Emily. Emily says, amazing show. So happy I found them. Jonathan and Brad are great together. My journey started earlier in 2018, but didn't catalyze until I started listening to Chooseify a few weeks ago. They have great information every show, and they help you figure out how to apply the steps to your life. I know that my path to financial independence is shorter for having found these two. Keep it up. All right, my friends, if you got value from today's episode, if you've been getting value from the episodes up to this point, just take one second and press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. Just let the providers know you're getting value from the show and you want to be here when we produce additional content. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.